0: Welcome to Casting Hope, the sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. Which enlightens everyone and what's coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive and who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so Lord, with the words of my mouth, and with the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Rock and Redeemer. And Holy Spirit, would you be here in power at this time with your presence. Open the eyes of our hearts so that we would see Jesus and worship him. And it's in his name we pray this. Amen. So, pro tip, if you're ever in the mountains and you break your leg, okay, uh, and you have a satellite phone, you should call Search and Rescue. You're welcome. <laughs> That's free. That's free. It's the Search and Rescue's team, in other words, to search for where you are and to, guess what? Yes. Rescue you. That's their job. That's, you know, this may not be news to you. You may already know about this. Um, I knew that Search and Rescue teams existed, but what I did not know until last week is that Search and Rescue teams are comprised of entirely volunteers. It's an entirely volunteer based thing, the search and rescue. These men and women volunteer their time, they volunteer their training, they volunteer their gear to rescue others. And it's a fulfilling job, which is why most people do it for free. But it's also a very hard job, and apparently the pandemic has made it even Harder. More and more people are backpacking the mountains, which is a good thing. Like, COVID sent us outside into the wilderness, and that's great. The only problem is those who are traversing the mountains don't really know how to traverse the mountains. And so, more and more calls are being made, and so, therefore, more and more uh, search and rescue efforts are being made. Calls for help are rising exponentially. And search and rescue teams can't keep up. So last year, the Pew Charitable Trust ran an article with this title, Search and Rescue Teams Already Stretched Thin See Surges in Calls. They're stretched thin. Calls for help are on the rise, but they can't meet the need. Well, I think this is the challenge of neighbor love for such a time as this. In the time of COVID, in the time of a pandemic, in the time of everything else piled up, even on top of that, as followers of Jesus, we know that we're called to love our neighbor well. That's our unique calling, right? We are saved in order to rescue others. Like We are saved in order to love well. We are loved by God, as the Apostle John puts it, in order to love others well. We know this is our unique calling, and we also know that those around us, literally and figuratively, are calling for help. And yet, we ourselves are stretched thin. Amen? We ourselves have nothing. And so the art of neighboring these days, in a way, feels very tone-deaf. Why on earth are we focusing on the art of neighboring when we can't even do the art of existing, right? So why are we doing this, and why are we focusing on this? We love it in theory, but in practice it seems impossible. So my question for us this morning, on this fourth Sunday, Advent, on the eve of Christmas, not literally, kids, not literally, um, how can a stretch-thin disciple of Jesus love our actual neighbor love? Where do we find the resources for this neighbor love, to engage, to show up? Well, Advent provides, I think, three unique resources for us. And we see them in the text we just read. The first one we'll call recognition. The second one we'll call visitation. And the third one we'll call regeneration. Let me just unpack what each of these words refer to. So first, recognition. Advent provides recognition of a problem that we just surfaced together. It does. It acknowledges, Advent acknowledges that neighbor love does not come naturally. I just want you to look or listen again to how John describes the world that Jesus comes to. So, verse nine says, "The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world." Okay, how does this world describe? He was in the world; the world was made through him. Yet, the world did not know him. And that word "know," as we know, is a relational word. The world was not related to God. In a healthy or whole or real way. The world was maybe very religious, but it was not related to the true God. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So, this little few verses from John is an utterly realistic picture of humanity. Uh, not only does it depict humanity as in utter need for a savior, a visitor, It shows humanity under, in, in, under rebellion against the Savior who actually comes to help. Now, why is this important as we think about neighbor love? Well, for this reason, the Bible is not surprised by our inability to love well. It actually names our inability to love others well. It's called sin. Sin is from a heart that is not in relationship to God. Even in rebellion, or set against, or unwilling to receive Jesus. And so, if we are not in relationship to the Triune God, who is love, we will not love others well. Our hearts left alone, so our hearts left alone, are bent towards ourselves. So, ancient theologians called this incurvatus in se, which is a Latin way of saying curved towards the self. Our hearts, left to themselves, are curved towards ourselves. One writer says this statement, incurvatus in se, is, quote, a sobering assessment of the unconscious self interest and parasitism, parasite, parasitism, that lurks underneath so much human love. Wow. In other words, our natural-born hearts are curved inward, which means we have little to no capacity to curve outwards towards God and towards others, to help others, to serve others. And even more sobering about the state of our heart left to ourselves is the truth that when we do notice help and love others so many times... Too often, is for self-motivated reasons. So this radical problem to love others well needs a radical solution. Which we see, actually, in verse 12 of our passage, which is rebirth. We need a fresh start. We need an absolutely brand new heart. A brand new heart that is not curved towards ourselves, but can indeed be curved towards others. And this has to happen supernaturally. From God. That's how big the problem of love is. We cannot simply just sort of figure it out on ourselves. The problem is very fundamental, and so we need a fresh start from we need a fresh start from the very core of who we are. For now, we're going to look into what that solution is. For now, I just want you to marvel at how precise and how honest the Bible is about our struggle to love. Is it any surprise that we are having trouble loving others in this season? The Bible would say no, it's no surprise. I once went to the doctor uh, because I was feeling ill, and after a lot of tests and questions, the doctor essentially said, we don't know. We don't know what's wrong with you. And here's the thing, I'm okay with that. That's all they can say But I left feeling very unsettled. I knew something was wrong with me. But those best equipped to name what's wrong couldn't give me a clear diagnosis of what was wrong. And that left me unsettled. And in a similar way, many of us are walking through life experiencing that something is wrong. Something is is profoundly wrong. The outer world for sure But even our inner world, our incapacity to love, we have, in a way, a kind of sickness, don't we? And we don't really know what it is. And society is sort of throwing all kinds of uh, ideas about what is wrong, fundamentally. But their diagnosis never really lands. And oftentimes their diagnosis is rooted in something in creation. Something in God's good creation is what's wrong with the world that never really lands, and it's always a moving target, and we never get a clear diagnosis of what is actually wrong. What is my sickness? Well, Advent and John, the Apostle, lands the diagnosis for us. We are image bearers, we are image bearers of valuable, valuable, infinite value to God. And we are also sinners. Both are true. In need of rescue. We, we, we sort of engage in this world and engage with others in ways that are curved towards ourselves. And sadly, by nature, left to ourselves, we will resist even our rescuer. And this double sickness calls for a double cure. We're going to talk about that. It's Jesus. But for now, I just want you to see again that Advent recognizes the struggle, it sees the struggle. It gives words to the struggle. It names it. And this can be a powerful, powerful first resource for us as we consider what it would look like to actually love our neighbors. The sooner we can admit that we don't naturally have the resources to love our neighbor well. Let me say that again. The sooner we can admit that we don't naturally have the resources to love our neighbor well. The sooner we name our weakness the sooner the power of God will rest on us. The sooner the Holy Spirit of God will breathe life and, and, and supernatural energy into our capacity to love. The sooner our love will flow from a resurrected heart instead of our fleshly old heart. Recognition. The Bible recognizes our need. That's the first resource of Advent. The second resource of Advent Is What we'll call visitation Namely the visitation of God in the flesh Jesus So listen again to how John puts it in verses 9-10 and The true light which gives light to everyone Was coming into the world He was in the world The world was made through him And yet the world did not know him He came to his own And his own people did not receive him So John here is using two poetic images To describe Jesus to describe what one New Testament scholar calls a special visitation, which is what John is describing. And the first is light visiting darkness. Light visiting darkness. Whenever John talks about the world, usually in his Gospels and his writings, he's not really talking about God's creation, like out there, right there, as you look at it, or like a uh, David Attenborough documentary. Like, that's not really what he's talking about when he's saying the world. What he's talking about, usually when he uses the word world, is humanity and rebellion against God. In other words, darkness. And into this darkness, John says, Jesus visits us as true light. And this word true could be translated genuine. Genuine. And so Jesus, from, Je- from John here, is set apart from two things. False lights and what we'll call reflector lights. So false lights are anything in creation Anything that claims to be the ultimate answer to our problems. That's a false light. They can be very good things. But if they're claiming too much, it's a false light. It's a false light. False lights are idols. They're created things claiming way, way too much. They're good things that we can rely on for our okayness in life. But trusting in these things is like fighting darkness with darkness, for instance. It doesn't work. Only Jesus can break the darkness. Only He is genuine light. Over and against false light. But John is saying more here, actually. Jesus is not only true light versus false light. He's also true light in relationship to reflector lights. And we'll say reflector lights are everything that is true and genuine light. Even as we look in the Old Testament, we see things like wisdom. We see things like the law, Torah, being described as light. From God. And we see things like the sacrificial system and other things being described as true light from God, but in a sense, John is saying radically here that they are reflecting true light. They're like the moon to the sun. Who is the sun? Jesus. Everything finds their light from Jesus because Jesus is God in the flesh. Everything points to Jesus in the Bible because Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the point, He is the true light. And he cuts through the darkness in Him alone. And so that's the first image that John gives us about this special visitation. The other image that John gives us about this special visitation from Jesus is that of a landlord visiting his house. So verse 11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Some translators think this should be translated, He came to his own home. He came to his own home. And so the image here compares Jesus to a landlord, returning to his property, his own covenant people even, and yet they did not welcome him. And even more, his home was kind of a mess. So uh, when Josie and I got married in 2005, we rented an apartment across the street from the Grandview Restaurant, 3rd and Hollywood. if you can picture that. Back in those days, it was called Gibbies. Anybody know the Gibbies? Come on. <laughs> All right. Yes. Uh, well, one day, Josie and I spilled candle wax on our carpet. And we were afraid, of course, of the landlord we figuring out that we spilled wax on his carpet. And so we decided to pull the wax out of the carpet ourselves. This was before YouTube. <laughs> or Google, say we definitely smartphones, so we didn't sort of figure out how to do this. We just followed our gut on how to do this. So we vaguely remember somebody pulling wax out of the carpet by reheating the wax with an iron, so long as there's something between the iron to absorb the wax. <laughs> Sounds good. So we decided to use wax paper. <laughs> right? This <laughs> designed for wax, Right? <laughs> I'm not joking. I mean, what better way to pull wax out of the carpet than heating up wax? Singeing it even into the carpet. It was a disaster. So fast forward a few months when it came time to move and we all knew the landlord would have to visit and have a look at his home. At his property. He was coming to his house and his own house had a problem. Well, this is the visitation of Jesus. Jesus comes to his own house. He made the world, but his house was a mess. And his renters rejected him. But for those who received him, verse 12, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those who welcomed his visit, he showered grace, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But John says, most rejected. So when it came time for Josephine and I to move, we had a choice. (laughs) Okay? Uh, When our landlord visits, we can either admit it or hide it. And we were prepared to pay for it. We admitted it. We were prepared to pay for it. To pay for the carpet, Or at least have our deposit, <laughs> taken away from us. But our landlord showed mercy. I'll give you his name if you want to know that. He honored our honesty in a way, and he paid for it himself. He took it on himself. And that's the grace of Advent. The true light shines into our dark corners, exposes our issues, exposes our problems, exposes all the ways that we have been poor stewards of our own life, of our of his own world, his own house. This landlord visits his own home. He sees it all. Even if we put a plant on top of the singed, you know, like giant, like Bigfoot sized wax kind of thing, even if we do our best to hide it, the landlord knows. And we just cross our fingers and hope for the best. Or we can simply drop our defenses and say, mercy. I can't, I can't hide this. And admit the message made. And Jesus is the landlord who pays for himself. He comes and he gives grace, he gives mercy, he gives not what we deserve, but what we most need. It's the whole reason he came to begin with, the whole purpose of his coming is to live for us, to die the death we deserve to die, and to restore and to repristinate everything that we wrecked in this life. That's this whole eternal purpose of coming in Advent. So why hide it? That's what I'm telling you. Why hide it? Instead, simply drop your defenses and say, I don't have anything to show except my need. Would you be merciful? And he is. And he is. John says he is. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right, the privilege, to become children of God. Become children of God to have this amazing status. And that's all we really need. That's all we really need. Mercy in Jesus is all we really need. And this can fuel our capacity to love others, when mercy lands in our depths, this is what I want to say, when mercy lands in our depths, when we give, when we get what we don't deserve, but what we most need, we can give others a sin. Which brings us to the final point this morning, which is regeneration. Look at what follows in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born of God, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So John is saying two astonishing things to all who have received Jesus. Is that you? Have you received Jesus? Have you, have you dropped your defenses? Have you admitted your mess? Did you tell the landlord you messed up his house? If that's true, then you can know this with certainty, not from my authority, but from the authority of God Himself, His Word. That there are two things true about you. You are reborn of God, and you are now related to God in His family. You are reborn of God. John says that all who receive and believe in Jesus, they have the right, they have the right, they have the privilege to become children of God. So all of us have been born naturally into this world, right? Right? But this is a problem because this world is bent against God. And our hearts, as we said, are curved towards ourselves. And we're stuck. We feel trapped in our own addictions. But Jesus enables us in his advent to be born afresh. To be born from above, as Jesus tells Nicodemus. Or, as John puts it in chapter 3, verse 6, to be born of the Spirit. Or as the Carol puts it, Jesus was born to give us second birth. What? Jesus was born to give us second birth. This means that if you have received Jesus, you are an entirely new person. You are an entirely new person in all that you've done to all the things in the past, and guess what? Even the future. Jesus came and He came to live on your behalf and to die on your behalf and to be raised on your behalf, so none of that can continue. The landlord took it upon Himself. It's the whole reason He came, because He loved you. It's a rescue mission. And so you're receiving Him, if you're wrestling Him, you are an entirely new person. You are your resurrection self brought into the present as God sees you. You are in Christ, with His righteousness. You are a walking preview, even, of new creation, because of this new birth. That is who you are, and that is your status. That's not all, though. You're also related to God. Verse 13, uh, John continues the birth image. If we receive Jesus, we're now related to God as His children. We are in His family. We have a relationship to God. Not by bloodline, but by belief, by need, by desperation. It's exactly the opposite of the things that we could do, or our folks could do, or our heritage could do. Exactly the opposite of anything any human could do. Because what John tells us is that we are in God's family by simply admitting our need. That's it. Belief and receive. It's a divine act. We're not secure, in other words, by what we do. We are not secure even by what other folks do for us. What are we most secure in? The fact that Jesus came to be received. And all who received. That's you this morning. You have an unbelievable, unshakable, unchanging security. a child Forever. Forever. And this is the deepest security any of us could ask for. So therapists will tell you the most important thing uh, for someone in a young age to experience is secure attachment to our caregiver. Our caregiver must be two things. Available and reliable. Available and reliable. You see, because of Advent, We have a secure attachment to our Heavenly Father. We are children of God, which means He is always available to us, and He is always reliable. This stability, this stable status, I think, enables us to live outside of ourselves and to give, and to truly help, and to truly love others, not for what they can give us in return, but simply because we are secure in everything we need, in the availability, and in the reliability of God our Father, who does not condemn us in Christ, but sees us as Christ, in His righteousness. That is an amazing privilege for us, and it is really the only resource that can enable us to love Him as well. We are a new person, Our heart is no longer curved into itself. You need to hear that. I need to hear that. If you are in Christ, your heart is not curved in towards yourself anymore. It is a heart that is now bent towards others and bent towards God. Those are the facts on the ground. That is who you most truly are. And in addition to that, you have security as God is your father. So we can simply throw ourselves into loving others. We can treat like we can approach people not on a take basis but on a give basis. How can I give of myself? Because I don't need anything from you. That is a profoundly liberating thing. When you don't ultimately need anything even from your most loved ones, because you have everything in God through Christ. When that, when your cup is full like that, you then approach people in a way that says, how can I serve you, love you, without needing anything in your? And that is a supernatural love. It's a unique love. It's a love that comes from being in fellowship with a triune God who is love and has been love for all eternity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. An amazing gift we get from Adam. So put your weight on Jesus today. You're not okay because of first right. You're not okay because of anything you can do. You're not okay even in your capacity or your, your ability to love others well. The only way that you are okay is because Jesus came and you received Him. So put all your weight on Him Is it, and when you do this, May you love others in His power, okay? Here's your benediction. One scholar in T. right he says, This passage is a drama in search for actors. I love that. The reason John is proclaiming the visitation of Jesus, the reason John is proclaiming regeneration and new status is not so that we would sort of just kind of take it and sit with it, but so that we would love others well. If you know anything about John the Apostle, you might know that he is often called the Apostle of what? Love. He's the Apostle of love, and if you read his letters like 1 John, he is just kind of like a one-string fiddle, cranking out one tune, one tune only. It's, I'll quote him, actually. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And that word "so" right there is so packed, especially when you see the passage we just we just simmered in this morning. For God so loved us, it wasn't just this vague like love. No, no, no. Jesus came to be received, and because of that, dear friends, we can love others. And so, Lord, would you enable us to love others? As we settle into our new status as children of God, would that settling, also be energizing? Help us to love those around us, those closest to us, and even those we don't yet know. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who love us so well. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.